right, so as you heard Ben Wagner say, the next time you hear Ben Wagner doing play-by-play on this station, it will be Friday night. It will be the home opener. The Texas Rangers will be in town. The Jays, 7-5 winners today. They have two. Kevin Barker, just two more Grapefruit League games left before they jump in the charter. Come home. They have an off day Wednesday, workout Thursday. And then, as we mentioned, they will welcome the Texas Rangers. And it gets going for real Friday night. It is Blue Jays talk with Blair and Barker will uh, take you through to the top of the hour. Kevin, we have a ton of stuff to talk about because we had Friday off from our show, Blair and Barker, and a lot has happened. So we want to talk about Charlie Montoyo's contract. We want to talk bigger picture, but let's deal first and foremost before our break with, uh, with, with today's game in particular, you know, I think Ross Atkins was in the booth with, uh, with, with Dan Schulman and Pat Tabler. And there was a ball hit to center field. And George Springer went back and slipped, picked, and threw the ball to third base. And then the next at bat, George Springer was up, and he kind of took a wonky swing, and his ankle went over. And at that point, I, 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 all I'm thinking of, Kevin, is we, we have reached peak spring training. We always say nothing good happens at spring training. The last two days, nothing good happens in spring training. The only thing that happens in the last two days of spring training is you start seeing guys get hurt. Uh, you know, we've seen that that already with a couple of teams. But George Springer, as far as we know, certainly looks healthy. Kevin, that's a good place to start with George Springer. And spring numbers, again, are only worth so much. But Kevin, I don't know if he struck out this spring. And I, I, I could be wrong. He... I guess this is what a healthy George Springer looks like. Yeah, well, you know, we we were freaking out when we didn't see George Springer playing games. I know when I was in Florida, you were texting me saying, go check on George Springer. Make sure he's not wearing tape in places he's not supposed to be wearing tape because he's not in the game. He's not in the lineup. Word it that way. And then we come to find out he'd been going to minor league games and getting five, six, seven, eight at bats in, in a game. And you can t- you can see that. The rhythm and timing's there. You can tell, you know, you, you, you're hearing him – Calling his shots like the three run, the three one homer that he hit the center field. He called that. Louis Rivera was on there, and he said before he walked to the plate that that he is calling his shot to hit a home run there. You know these these older guys who have been there and done it before know their body, know what it takes to get rhythm and timing. And if they think they need it on side fields and AAA games, then that's where they're going to get it. And you can just see how easy and fluid and, and the way he takes pitches. I talk about that all the time with you. You can tell a lot about where a hitter's at, especially these really, really good hitters, on the way they take pitches. It's not jumpy. Like today, Vladdy, a couple of those times you could see him taking pitches, he was jumpy. Like that front foot, mm-hmm. he was so jumpy that his front knee would bend. Well, that would tell you he's just not seeing the ball out of, out of the pitcher's hand as well as he normally does, and this is why you have these kind of games. But, man, you, you just – Seeing what he brings, right? When you walk the the leadoff hitter, who's the number nine hole hitter, and then you got George Springer coming up, and you got to be almost perfect. And he knows that stand on the on deck circle that this guy, uh oh, just walked a guy he shouldn't have walked, and now I can come up and do damage the way he did today. He brings a whole different element. Look, I'm I'm not saying I want 130 games out of him. I want 150 plus games. He's right. not 50 years old, you know. He's he's somewhere around 30. And he should be playing as many possible games as he is, and I'm sure that he'll be doing that, whether he's playing center field or whether he's DH. But, man, he brings a whole different animal when it comes to you seeing the rhythm and timing that he has, the way he's seeing the ball out of the pitcher's hands. He's terrifying. It's the word I'd use, terrifying. 
Well, you mentioned that you want to see him play 150-odd games, and one of the one of the things the Jays have done, I would suggest, to imp- increase or improve the likelihood of that is going out and getting Ryamel Tapia. Now, again, he's not a, as good a defender as George Springer is. Uh, I'm not going to say he is, but everything you hear about him suggests that he can certainly cover cover enough ground and can can probably spell George here and there. And Kevin, I got to tell you, his at bat in the first the the first inning part of that that long first inning, watching his swing, watching him come through with that single to the opposite field, but watching in the first inning of a game, wa- watching a hit and run put on with Guriel and first at first and, and Toppy at the plate. We're going to see, I think, as you as you look at this lineup, we're going to see a little more aggressiveness on the base pass top to bottom on this team aren't we and a guy like tapia a, a guy who's going to make contact he he's tailor made for this lineup yeah well you know it's it's like the bow and vladdy double steal uh, uh, Bo sees the third baseman playing almost on the grass knowing that that third baseman probably can't cover third base he's going to get a little bit better jump he, you know he's going to try and push the envelope a little bit and make these teams play some some defense that they're normally not used to playing yeah Tapia for me that the little thing that I've noticed is how quiet his swing is and how level it is you know th- this is the error of the uppercut everybody wants to go up and and hit the ball in the air for me the the, the times that I've noticed him he tries to create backspin with a level swing and you know he's, he's not thinking that he's going to come here and all of a sudden hit 20 homers because everybody else is doing it. I hope that's not what he does because sometimes when you're around a bunch of guys who know how to do that, you try and be just like they are and you get outside the box and you get trouble that way. But I just don't think the people that I've talked to about him, that he's that type of person. I just like his level swing. You know, for me, I've told you this, the bottom of the order for the Blue Jays is about on-base percentage. And if you can get on and create a little havoc, mm-hmm. Charlie Montoya is telling you by watching these spring training games that he's going to put pressure on people. They're going to do hit and runs like you mentioned. They're going to put pressure on trying to steal bases. Saul Lord is trying to steal a base there. He was yeah. safe in my mind, but yes, that's the point. That's the point here is, you know, you're going to put pressure on teams like the Yankees that, that, you know, aren't the greatest of defensive players like the Red Sox. If you can win, you know, an extra game because you're, you know, they may chuck a ball away and you can score on a, on a play like that only makes your team better at the end of the season. So I like what Charlie's doing. I like what they've added. Uh, I, I think they have enough balance to put enough pressure on bad teams that, you know, they can squeak out a couple of more wins and maybe that'll help them when it comes crunch time in September. Yeah, when I watch Toppy at the plate, I keep thinking about the Braves team that won the World Series last year and how they featured a number of hitters who could do a number of different things, a number of hitters whose strengths were different part, different quadrants of the plate. And, and, and the whole idea behind that that Braves lineup was, especially in a short series, to make it hard to game plan against them. And... and Look, I'm not saying Tapia is going to be an all-star, but I think it was Ben Nicholson-Smith who, who who dropped this this comparable the day of the trade. And yeah, at the time, I thought that's kind of an interesting concept. And then I looked at it, and Ben wondered if maybe this isn't kind of a Ben, a ben Revere thing happening here. If you think back to 2015, Ben, ben Revere. You know, yeah, 2015 was David Price and Troy Tulowitzki. Ben Revere was huge for that team. And he gave them something they did not have, an ability to cover the strike zone, 
and and from the left side of the plate, played is okay defense. He was in left field, but he gave them that little wrinkle that they hadn't they hadn't had. And I think Ben may have been on something there. Now I I, I can't compare Revere and Tapia as players because I haven't seen enough of them, but just that extra that extra dimension that you didn't have before. I like I like him because he can go first to home. I think he can create havoc on the bases, which is you can tell they're trying to do this. They got young guys with some speed who who are smart enough. The Bizios, the Bichettes, Teoscar. You know, Teoscar's very athletic. He's going to pick his times and when to try and steal bases like he did today. So it's you know even Vladdy, you can tell the the, the tapered. <laughs> The tapered Vladdy, who is pushing somewhere in the range of 235. Now, if I'd have said said that to you a year and a half ago, that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in spring training of 2022 would be pushing 235, would you look at me like I had four heads? Probably so. It's not just the it's not just the weight either. It just looks distributed differently. His his body looks different. That that's the only way I can describe it. His, yeah, his and body it, looks his body. You know what? His body looks more mature. That that is what it is to me. It looks like a, it's look like a kid who's it looks like a kid who's gone from nineteen to twenty four. It looks to me like a kid that said, that went home and asked his dad and people around it that have been there and done it before. How do I maintain my bat speed from the first day till the last day of the season? And the only way you're going to do it is to continue to to work hard off the field and do the things that he's ultimately done. He he is man. I think you know I, I've said it and I'll say it again. Thirteen for five hundred. Eh, don't look too bad. Um, you made a point when you got back from Florida and I was asking you about some of the things you saw. You talked about how much of an emphasis the team was putting on communication between the outfielders and the infielders or between the outfielders uh, or among the outfielders. Pardon me. Now, we talked a little bit about this with uh, uh, with Ed Sprague when he was on. I'm sorry, Dallas Braden, talking about Matt Chapman and how Matt Chapman is a defensive weapon, and Matt Chapman covers a lot of ground, and you're going to have to be prepared. If you're Bo or if you who, who, whoever's in left field, you're going to have to be prepared to have Matt Chapman in your grill quickly because he gets out there. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about what you saw today. There were a couple of instances. There was one where I thought it was a near collision, and yep. then there was another one where I thought there was pretty good communication because that's yeah, well, been – that's been kind of a flaw in, in the past couple of years. It, it is. Well, we just talked about the base running, ways of if squeaking out an extra win that, that would benefit you at the end of the season. Communication is a big deal. You, you mentioned it. you got new guys in Chapman. you got some other guys, younger guys who are very aggressive, who go on after the baseball, want to catch it, want to say, look at me, look what I just did. And you got to have great communication. Espinal covers a lot of ground at second base, too. That's their job. Their job yeah. is to look in the air, see the baseball, run at it until they're called off because that outfielder coming in is an easier play for them than it is that guy running backwards. But you saw it. You mentioned it, the, the Lourdes Gurriel play and the, and the Matt Chapman. Chapman's running back as hard as he can. Lourdes is coming in. You have that late communication. That's the way this is, right? And, I, and I, you mentioned it. Mark Bozinski, whenever I was in camp, I had seen the outfielders in that little half field in the outfield with no gloves. Like, the, just a mini outfield, obviously. You know, it's not a very big field. It's a half field. But they were standing out there, and they were walking around. They weren't running. 
and he was talking and having conversation. And when he came off the field and they were all going to their different fields they needed to go to, I said, Bud, come here. What, what are you guys doing? And he said, it is about communication because we have new guys. They're very athletic. You know, sometimes they run after the ball with – Reckless abandonment, right? They just want to go get it. You have to be communicating really, really well, and we don't want to lose baseball games and baseball players that way. So it is an emphasis on calling them off. And then again, you saw Teoscar and, and Espinal do the exact same thing. Te- Teo's calling him off real quick. Get out of the way. I want the ball. There's no questions. I'm going to catch this. It's just a little thing. It's little things that make this team better that are going to help them win more games. We have a lot to talk about on this edition of Blue Jays Talk. A reminder that on Friday, Mr. Barker and myself will be doing Blue Jays Talk after every regular season game. That starts on Friday. Tomorrow, Blair and Barker will be on from 10 to noon Eastern time. That is our new time slot, at least until the end of the playoffs, uh, until the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I was going to make a joke about the Leafs, but I won't even bother. I won't even bother doing that. Charlie Montoyo's got a new contract, kind of. Jose Ramirez rumors are out there again, kind of. And the Toronto Blue Jays look as if they've clarified their bullpen picture. That was a point of emphasis for us going into today's game. We saw Jimmy Garcia's and that or uh, Garcia. I'm sorry, and that is the pronunciation is Jimmy. So now we know. Jimmy Gar- uh, Garcia pitching today. We saw Julian Merriweather. We saw David Phelps, who's made the team. Got a lot to talk about. Don't go anywhere. It's a Blue Jays talk with Blair and Barker right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Seven five, the Toronto Blue Jays beating the New York Yankees. Today in Dunedin, two more Grapefruit League games for the Blue Jays, and then they are home to open the season on Friday against the Texas Rangers. Jose Barrios will be making the start for the Blue Jays. We were off on Friday, Kevin, so we missed a bunch of stuff. I really want to get the – but let's uh, – well, let's start with – I want to spend the second part of today's show talking about some bigger picture things, and I guess this kind of qualifies as big picture stuff. Uh, the, the the state of the bullpen or the structure of the bullpen that was pretty much on display today. Look, I uh, Jordan Romano apparently is is healthy after his dog walking accident. You're shaking your head. Through an inning today uh, at the minor league complex, or sorry, through today at the minor league complex. So as we look at the bullpen right now, it's pretty clear: Romano, Yimi Garcia, Tim Meza, Adam Simber, Trevor Richards. Ross Stripling will make the team. We'll put him in the bullpen. David Phelps is on the team. We know that. Kevin, the way I look at things right now, a couple of things. One, Ryan Barucki had to go for an MRI. Uh, that MRI came back clean. He's apparently okay. Ryan Barucki's out of options. I, I, unless he shows up in crutches, I think they'll take Ryan Barucki with him because I, I don't think they want to risk losing him in options. Yep. Uh, we saw Julian Merriweather today. And we saw Andrew Vasquez. Now, those last two names are – I've had them in the bubble. Uh, I I thought one of them would make the team. But um, Vasquez is a lefty with a little bit of funk. He's kind of got a lower three-quarters arm slot delivery. I mean, it's – you know, nowadays the emphasis on bullpens is different looks, different arm angles, et cetera, et cetera. He certainly fits into that. Julian Merriweather, frankly, didn't impress the hell out of me this spring. But – the news today that Nate Pearson is still 
shut down. We don't know when he's going to return. It is an illness. It is a non-COVID illness. That's what the team is saying. He is he's apparently passed his COVID testing or 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 turned in negative COVID test. But Kevin, this team breaks camp on Tuesday. I I don't see. I don't know why you would take Nate Pearson north with you right out the gate. I I mean I I if I'm already carrying a guy like Barucky and I don't know how healthy he's going to be. Um, you know, I, I look at this. I think both, at least on my team, I think both Vasquez and Merriweather make it at least initially. You, you seen the movie The Boy in the Plastic uh, Bubble? Uh, no. I, I'd be okay with, with, uh, with, well, there's a lot of fans that are listening who have seen that movie or seen parts of that movie, and you see a little bit of it, so you have to turn the channel. But I'd be okay <laughs> with, with Nate Pearson getting out of his Cadillac Escalade wrapped in yeah. one of those plastic bubbles. You know, I, I don't want to poke fun at this because you know, sickness is a little bit of a different thing, but... Uh, it, it just seems like for me, it's always something with him and with his talent and all the things he, that he could bring. Just, just uh, you, you hope that you know he can get everything all lined up and headed in the right direction, and maybe he can get on this team and help this team down the stretch. What Julian Merriweather? You said you didn't like his spring. You don't like ninety eight, ninety nine with Saint I like it today. And, and a Bugs like Bunny changeup. I like it today. Yeah, today, today was okay. Today was okay. I look, I'm, I'm, I'm. You question his I, I, I just don't I, – I, I've got to admit I don't trust the guy to stay healthy. I, that's and I, that's probably not a that's probably not a great thing to say. But And he is healthy, so as long as he's healthy, he's healthy and he's on the team, and that, that's fine. But, uh, boy, I, I – you know, I understand you can't put together the perfect team. But even with those guys, like, I'm not ready to count on Julian Merriweather. I'm not ready to count on Nate Pearson. I don't know, man. I, I – I would. I still would like to see another arm at the back of the bullpen. Yeah. So, I, so you're. I really would. So you're saying that a Julian Merriweather, a Ryan Barucki, and Andrew Vasquez. I don't want to throw David Phelps in there, but say those. No, David least, Phelps. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine with David. You, he, you're okay with him pitching in the eighth and ninth inning. Uh, well, not, not consistently. No. That's the question. Is you got to ask yourself: Is do you do you have a bullpen full of or most of? Fifth, sixth, and seventh inning guys. You don't have a ton of eighth and ninth inning guys. That's basically I mean, I, what I see. I haven't seen Jordan Romano. I got it. Garcia, eighth inning. I like that. Ninth inning. Yeah, I don't I like it at enough all. Of, I haven't <laughs> seen enough of Yimi Garcia to know. Uh, I just know his reputation. Know what his numbers say. Um, that would. I mean, my default right now. My default position is Romano and Garcia at the back of the bullpen. That that's that's my default position. Yeah, and you could throw you could throw Tim Mays in there too. They're relying a lot on Tim Mays' movement and left-handed yeah. ninety-three. Can he back that up two years in a row? I, there, until he shows some, me he can't. Until he shows me he can't, I would put him in there too. Sure. Well, because they don't really have anybody else. Yeah, Adam Simber's going to get some some key chances here. So's Trevor Richards. They're going to get some chances to get some big outs. Meat of the order. So is David Phelps. If David Phelps is good, he's getting the ball in the seventh inning with, with the top mm-hmm. of the order coming up. He's getting the ball a lot of the times when, when the, the times are the biggest. But there's some guys there. You, when they're coming in the game, you just really don't have any idea. And yeah. You got to ask yourself: Can you win the American League East with all these other teams? You see the Yankees making moves. You know they're making tra- trades for Miguel Castro. I know yeah. that's not a huge move, but that's ninety-eight to hundred and one with serious movement and a Bugs Bunny changeup. That's what you're trying to surround yourself with because you want to know why. The Blue Jays. Look at all the right-handed hitters they got. Look at the Red Sox. They got some big-time right-handed hitters that are that are. The Yankees, Aaron Boone could bring in guys like that. That's the whole point here. It's yeah, not about the, the name doesn't pop off the page. It's just the guy's got stuff. If we put him in the right positions, 
he can get some big time outs for us. And that's what the Yankees are trying to do right now. And that for me anyway, is that if you have one spot that you want to look at with the Blue Jays, it's that. Is you just got some names there when it comes late that you just don't really know when you hand the ball to him what you're going to get. Yeah, listen, you know, and I thought Ross did a really good job last year kind of repairing the bullpen uh, after that, after that, those series of meltdowns, getting Simber and Richards. Uh, You know, I would like to think that if, if something similar happens in April or May, that the Jays wouldn't wait that long, but you can add a bullpen arm. That's one thing that I absolutely believe. And and one thing I've seen from this team. So I'm with you. I, I would have liked the Kenley Jansen type of guy on the bullpen. I would have liked a Craig Kimbrell type of guy in the bullpen. You can't have everything. By and large, I'm happy with what this front office has done this year. I like some of the the, the moves they've made around the fringes as well. So uh, let's see what happens once uh, spring training ends. But but you know as well as I do, Kevin, too, you bring all these guys into spring training. You get to a point in spring training where unless they've really crapped the bed, you know, there's a reason you brought Andrew Vasquez in on a major league contract. So – See what he gives you, right? That, so I, yeah, I don't I, get I don't get bent out of shape when if a team doesn't make a move in the last week of spring training to address its bullpen, then I'm thinking, okay, well they they've they've brought these guys in. We know that relievers are fungible. They want to see what these guys have. I I really have no problem with that. But I, I'm just saying that that I. Boy, I I just I don't trust Merriweather, Brucky, and and I just don't know about. Just puts a, puts a lot more pressure puts a lot more pressure on the rotation. We we know that to go a little bit deeper in the game. If you're Charlie early in the season, I know they want to. You know they're talking about the six man rotation and they want to massage people through their first couple of starts. You may not have a choice here. Like no, I understand but, the the expanded rosters and the, and the extra two guys that you're going to bring out here. I get it. I understand that. But I'm saying, you know, the way the American League East is bunched up. I mean, you got four teams here. You could throw all four teams against the wall if you you pick any four of them winning the american league you got you you got an argument like you really do have an argument for all four of them so i i just saying if, if your aspirations are to win the american league East and all these games matter from from pitch one from game one this will be an interesting little thing to look at i'm not saying their bullpen is awful and and there's not some guys down there that can get some big time outs i just think if if they have a little hiccup and they have a black eye that could be some of it well, part of my part of my thinking here was I thought in the Jays' perfect world, Nate Pearson would have been the guy that you would have been able to use in the six-man rotation to maybe to, to piggyback with somebody or or give you some length. And if that's not the case now, then it, it's probably going to be Ross. See, I disagree. Thing. I'd love to have Nate Pearson as my seventh inning guy. For, forget forget about asking him to go out and get seven or eight guys out. <laughs> Let me see 101 in the seventh inning getting three dudes out with two pitches. Did he throw 101 all spring? Okay. Have you seen him start? Hmm. Well, you're begging. Um, Maybe so am I. (laughs) Charlie Montoyo uh, got a contract extension. Well, actually what happened is the Jays guaranteed it through 2023, uh, and there's a team option for 2024 and 2025. Look, I I mean, I told you this a couple of months ago. I thought that, that Charlie Montoyo's contract, that to me it was a no-brainer that they were going to give him that they were going to at least guarantee next year because it does it does strengthen his hand like everything's smooth right now but you know ball players are ball players and if they get a sense that the manager is in the final year of his deal and stuff goes pear-shaped you know you you don't know how it's 
necessarily going to transpire. I mean, I have no problem with this. I think we're on the same page here. To me, it's irrelevant. If this team doesn't go to the playoffs this year, I don't think they bring Charlie back anyhow, whether next year's guaranteed or or whatever. I mean, but I think it does. If anybody in that clubhouse needed a message, and I, I can't imagine anybody would given what we think about them, at least it sends the message that Charlie Montoyo is this this front office's man. And I think it also reinforces the idea that really, this really is a collaborative thing here when mm-hmm. it comes to, to how the lineup is set and all that stuff. I, yes, I know the manager sets the lineup, but the information he gets helps him do it. And that information comes from the front office. To me, this just, this gets to the cultural thing with the Blue Jays. It stresses that we're all in it together and that it's a collaborative mm-hmm. effort. And I, I didn't, I didn't really read anything into it. Other than that, to me, it doesn't make this year any less important for Charlie Montoyo. And I guarantee if you ask Charlie that, he'd tell you the same damn thing. Absolutely. If, if, with the expanded playoffs, they don't, they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> There's going to be some changes. We know that. Everybody else yep. knows that. If we're watching the Blue Jays. They, they spent a ton of money. They, they spent $230 million on two pitchers. Like, they're, they're in it. Right, and and it it it, it includes the, the guy leading the show, which is Charlie Montoya. Uh, for me, anyway, he's gotten better at communicating with young players. That's the one thing, and, and it tells his team, as an organization, the leaders of the, the organization are telling his team that they're we're all in this together, at least for the next year or so, and that's a good thing. You you want this, you know, when you're talking about making the playoffs and going to the World Series, which is exactly what they're talking about. You need everybody all in, and all in means con- contract wise. You need to be there, and, and I'm, I'm with say you. This. It made sense. Every player of consequence in this team has gotten better. Now, yes, it's not all on the manager. I, I don't want to get into that. We've talked about the importance of position coaches. But if Vladdy hadn't turned out, that was going to be in Charlie's lap. If Bo hadn't turned out, that was going to be blamed on Charlie. If you look at this team, and I look at a guy like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., maybe more than any other, every key player in this team – has become a better player while Charlie's managing. Now, how much he had to, to, to do with that, we can have that argument. He certainly didn't screw it up, though. And big thing for me, he kept them healthy. And I will get back to this. I will get back to this with Vladdy. The most important thing when you have players with the talent of Vladdy and Bo is that they stay healthy. If they're healthy, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I got to think that as much as there's there were a lot of people in Charlie's ears about giving this guy a day off. This guy needs a rest. Do this, do that. Again, at the end of the day, it's the manager who executes the plan. So I, I have, I have no problem with this, and I'm comfortable with the decision. Yeah, see, I, I think it gets back to my point about the communication factor, and you mentioning the staying healthy and the guys playing. He's gotten better at that, walking up to a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., walking up to a Bo Bichette, walking up to a Teoscar Hernandez, walking up to a Loris Gurriel Jr., and saying, hey, do you need a half a day off? DHing, yeah. do you, well, do, you think- need a, do you need a day off? That's the communication factor here. Now, the getting better of the players, I look, I've been in lots of – Tons of clubhouses. Manager had no no bearing whatsoever on me getting better or getting worse. That had everything to do with the coaches. Now you know again it gets back to the communication factor, and everybody has their role. But a lot of that for me is more the coaches than it is the manager. Very quickly, we've got to touch on Jose Ramirez. Now, if you've been following this saga back at the trade deadline, everybody in baseball pretty much agreed that Jose Ramirez would be the perfect player for the Toronto Blue Jays. 
Two months after that, everybody agreed he'd be the perfect player for the Toronto Blue Jays. The week before the lockout, we all agreed he'd be the perfect player for the Toronto Blue Jays. The day after the lockout, we all agreed he'd be the perfect player for the Toronto Blue Jays. A week later, we found out that even though he's still a perfect player for the Toronto Blue Jays, he was negotiating an extension with the Cleveland Guardians. Fast forward to this weekend, and between uh, reports of negotiations between the team being published and his agent Rafa Nieves tweeting out an LOL and saying it's funny that negotiations are going on because I'm here in California right now not talking to the Guardians this is pretty much up in the air the Guardians want to get a deal done before opening day look Jose Ramirez is one of the top five players in the game he's not going to take a hometown discount and the numbers that we keep hearing the Guardians bandy around $89 $89 million for four years. No chance in hell that, that Jose Ramirez is going to do that. Not so, a chance. So they can't come to an agreement. You know that the Jays and Jose Ramirez rumors are going to are going to heat up again. i got to throw this out as, a, as, as something to keep in mind when you hear these rumors. We are led to believe that when Josh Donaldson was traded to the Cleveland, then the Cleveland Indians, Jose Ramirez made it clear that he did not like playing second base, period. Really? He was pretty clear about it. So maybe he feels differently now because he would be coming to a team with his good friends. He'd be coming to a team that's going to be contending. But if you sign, Kevin, if you trade Jose Ramirez with an idea to sign him, at some point you're going to run out of money because they haven't figured yep. out how they're going to get Vladdy and Bo signed yet. They got George Springer. They got Jose Barrios. Uh, I mean, they've got, at some point, they got to take care of Tay Oscar. <laughs> they got maybe, a lot maybe they of. Think, maybe. They got a lot of dudes who are going to want five and six year contracts. Maybe, maybe they think if he comes here, they sign him, they win the World Series. That they're doing backstrokes and hundos, and they don't have to worry about money. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Anyhow. <laughs> so there you go. That is the latest in the Jose Ramirez rumors. Ross Atkins was on with uh, with uh, Dan and Tabby today, and certainly didn't indicate. I mean, I didn't expect them to come out and say they were going to trade for Ramirez, but he certainly he didn't, didn't say no. Sound. Didn't say no, but he didn't sound like a guy who was looking to make that addition right now. But you know what? We shall see. And I will say this. As we get closer to the trade deadline, absolutely, absolutely something like that has to be in play. Mr. Barker, thank you for doing this. Again, Blair and Barker, tomorrow from 10 Eastern to noon on Sportsnet 590 Defend. That's our new time slot. We will be on Blair and Barker with Blue Jays Talk immediately following every regular season game starting Friday. Have a great night.